not in our journey through the Gospel of John, our account takes a turn. Where we have been walking with Christ through the words of John, we have walked through John's introduction of Jesus. He is the Word. He's the Word that was from the beginning with God. In fact, the Word that is God. On our journey, we have walked with the forerunner, come to make straight the way of our Lord, John the Baptist. Along the way, we've walked through a wedding short on wine. We have walked through the temple, not short on corruption. Further down the path in the darkness of night, we have met a Pharisee. The Bible says a great teacher of the Jews, a man named Nicodemus, who needed to understand how can a man be born again even when he is old. Further still down the road, in this time the noonday sun, we meet a Samaritan woman filling her pot, but empty in the matters of truth. And on this road, she leaves that pot, having met the one that gives living water, the truth himself. On this road, we have traveled to seas, to villages, even to Jesus' own hometown. On this road, we've seen blind people see, lame people walk, and multitudes fed. It was on this road that the disciples were trained and the disciples were taught. On this road, we've encountered Pharisees, scribes, and priests, all intent on killing our traveling partner. On this road, we've heard Jesus teach. We have seen Jesus tested. On this road, we have heard Jesus pray. And today in our account, the journey now takes a turn. There is one destination now that matters. There's one direction our Savior must follow. There will be no detours. There will be no turning back. There will be no other stops now along the road. What once was a spot, a small speck far in the distance, far in the horizon, now looms right in the center of our road. Today we find ourselves in our journey at the foothills of a hill called Calvary. Yes, today our journey has taken a turn. Our hearts should pound with this last turn. Our ears should listen. Our eyes should see. And our speech should grow hushed. Ahead, there it is, Calvary. Today our message is entitled, Treachery Among the Trees. Treachery Among the Trees. Tonight we're in John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. John chapter 18, beginning in the first verse, says this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. 
And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore he again asked them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these go their way. To fill the word which you spoke of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. Simon Peter, then having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come tonight and we come in, in reverence of you, reverence of your word, reverence of the account that we handle tonight, a sacred account detailing your steps to the cross of our redemption, the cross of Calvary. Lord, I pray that tonight as we come and as we hear that again our ears would be in tune, that our hearts would be open. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak tonight through your word. I pray for us that have gathered here, those that are listening in some other way, I, I pray, Lord, that you would speak through your word. I know that you will. I know that you do. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged tonight. I pray we would be instructed tonight. I pray in the hearing of this account that we would draw closer to you, our Lord and our Savior tonight. Lord, we come and just on the edge, we tell you, we love you already. We thank you. We praise your name. Lord, I pray if there's some and maybe many that do not know you, I pray that in the hearing of such a sacrifice, such great love, that they might turn to you in faith. Lord, we lay this at your feet, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Having finished his prayer of chapter 17, having revealed his desire that we would be with him in eternity, and having expressed the desire that God's great love would be known, we pick up now in chapter 18. Let's go to the verses beginning in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. The Bible says, having finished speaking, having finished praying, Jesus went forth. Now, I want you to remember that word, forth. It translates, it means he moved onward. He proceeded. Now, the ravine of Kidron was a wash. It was a ravine that ran between the temple mount, the temple, and the Mount of Olives. The Bible says that Jesus and his disciples cross the ravine, and after crossing the ravine, they enter into a garden. The other gospels tell us, Matthew and Mark, the name of the garden as Gethsemane. Gethsemane. It translates literally oil press. This garden, understand, wasn't a typical garden as we would suppose, but it was a grove of olive trees. That's what the garden was. Evidently there was or there had been an olive press there at one time. All right, verse 2. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Now understand, Judas 
on the outside at least, was one of them. He had traveled with them. He had spent much time with them. Until this very night, he would have been with them. Think about that. Until this night, he would have been with them. He knew their patterns. The gospel accounts tell us that many times Jesus and the disciples would come to this spot to get away. They would have a crowd. They would want to get away. They would come to this grove of trees. It also says they would come there to pray. It says also that they would come there to camp to stay during their many visits to Jerusalem. And so understand this grove of trees was their place of solitude. It was their place of safety. It was their place of prayer. It was a sacred place for them. They would retreat to this grove of trees. Judas knew that. Verse 3. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Now I want you to see all of this that unfolds in the third verse. Judas had made an earlier deal with the Jewish leaders. Now, they were looking to capture Jesus, to catch Jesus. In fact, for many months, for some time, they were looking for an opportunity to catch Jesus. And now Judas has made a deal with them. In exchange for 30 pieces of silver, he says he will deliver Jesus to them. Well, on this night, at this occasion, and in this place, he completes his deal. Now, the Bible tells us here he has accompanying him a Roman cohort. Now, a Roman cohort was one-tenth of a Roman legion. A legion was 6,000 soldiers, and so this is 600 soldiers have been assigned to him. Now, most likely, the Jewish leaders have told the Romans, there is a man claiming to be a king. There is a man that is a threat. And so during this Passover week, with all of these Jews in town, they wanted to make a big show. They wanted to make a big spectacle, a great show of force. And so they have assigned 600 soldiers. It also says, then, in addition to that, the officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. Now, these were the temple police. These were the guards of the high priests. And it says that all of these came with oil lanterns, with torches, and with weapons. Now, I want you to see this tonight. This is a big deal. This is a big event. There are 12 people and 600-plus soldiers with swords and lights have come to arrest them. Here in this grove of trees, Judas sells Jesus out. In the other Gospels, he tells, the one that I kiss is the one. And so in this precious place, in this previously safe place, he comes and as a friend, he kisses Jesus. Now I want you to think about this for just a second tonight. Jesus had never fought anyone he had never threatened violence, not one time to anyone. He had never hinted at aggression, and yet an army has come to take Jesus in. An army stands ready to take Jesus in. Verse 4, 
So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, whom do you seek? So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, whom do you seek? Now, verse 4, this is an important verse. It says, Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming. Now, that means all of the things that were coming, all of them. He knows what's coming. He knows what's just ahead. And knowing all of those things, the Bible says, he went forth. Now, here's that same word again. I said, remember this word. It means to move onward. It means to proceed, to move forward with. I want you to see this tonight. Jesus, the verse says, knows what is happening. And understand, he is not captured. He is not chased. No, the Bible says he moves forward. I want you to see this. Jesus is never out of control. He is in control. Jesus is never in doubt here. The Bible says he moves forward. John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18 say this. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. John chapter 12, verse 27 says, My soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose... I came to this hour, listen to that, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. The Bible says Jesus knows what is coming. He knows what is ahead of him. And it is for that reason that he moves forward. Be sure of this, Jesus is in control. I think we need to to be sure and say this. And I think sometimes we might misrepresent this And folks might misunderstand this. Be sure and see this. Jesus is not a victim. Jesus is not a victim. Jesus was never, he is never a victim. He deliberately, willingly goes to the cross of Calvary to buy our redemption. He knows what is ahead. He knows the cost. He has weighed the cost. And he deliberately moves forward to purchase our redemption. Praise the Lord for that. He ends the verse and he asks, whom do you seek? Whom do you seek? Verse five. They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. They answer, very specific. The charges are set. We want the perpetrator. His name is Jesus the Nazarene. Now he says to them, now I want you to watch this. I am he. In the original language, in the Greek language, there is no he. In the original translation, there is no he. He answers, I am. Who do you seek? Jesus the Nazarene. He says, I Am. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever heard this before, but this is a verb. You ever heard that? It is a verb that God has used to name himself. It's not only that, it's a verb that God has used to describe himself. It is the name that he uses. We know this all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. 
When Moses says, whom shall I tell them has sent me? They're going to want to know who sent me. Whom shall I tell them? God says, you tell them I am has sent you. Now, remember what it means is most literally, it means I be being. I be being. Now, it's a lot deeper than that. What it means is I am all powerful. I am the creator of all. I am self-existent. I am eternal. I am possessing all wisdom. I am dependent on none. And so when they say, who who did you come for? Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus knows what he says. He says, I am. Listen to me. This is no weak act of cowardice. Jesus says before them all, I am God. See this, verse 6. So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. In the, in, the, in the literal translation in the original language, it means they were pushed back and they fell down. The, the, the word for fell down, it means to fall flat. It doesn't mean they kind of stoop over. It doesn't mean they lean over. It means they fall prostrate. Now I want you to see the picture tonight. 600 enemies of God and one betrayer of the Lord. They have no respect for God. They're filled with anger and hatred and betrayal. They are carrying the weapons of war. They have come in force in what they think is power. And when Jesus says, I am, they fall flat on the ground. Listen to me tonight. We, we sing, we like to sing, He could have called 10,000 angels. We like to sing that. He could have called 10,000 angels. Listen to me tonight. He didn't need 10,000 angels. He's the creator God of all, and he could have walked off right here. They fall flat. Verse 7. Therefore he again asked them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. I wonder what their attitude was then. (laughs) I wonder the tone they used the second time. I wonder if they felt outnumbered, only 650 to 12. Maybe they needed backup. Verse 8. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these go their way. Now, verse 8 happens for a reason. He's very deliberate in verse 8. The Jews would have liked to have captured all of them. Think about that. They capture all of them. The movement's over. If they can capture them now, they end it on this night. They would have liked to have captured them all at one time, but the Romans had orders for one. The Romans had orders for Jesus. And so he makes them say themselves two times, who are you seeking Jesus. If that had orders for all of them, they just said all of them. For the whole movement, they just said the whole movement. They say Jesus. So Jesus says, so let them go. He was watching over them. Be sure Jesus is in control. Verse 9. To fulfill the word which he spoke of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. Understand, we've seen this a couple times. God called the disciples. 
God has commissioned the disciples. Well, now God has protected the disciples. Jesus is able to say here, true to his word, not one has been lost. You want me? Then let them go. Verse 10. Simon Peter then having a sword drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear, and the slave's name was Malchus. Verse 10, we find that Peter is ready to fight. Now, he might be emboldened because he just saw 600 people fall down, but he is ready to fight. He is ready to fight. He takes out his dagger. Now, I want you to see it's more than that. He is ready to kill. He swings for sure at the man's head. He misses the, hand, the man's head. Maybe he ducks, but he cuts off his ear. He is ready to kill. Peter's ready to kill him. And honestly, Peter is ready to die. You see, honestly, 650 to 12, Luke in the Gospel of Luke says, there were only two swords, two daggers among them. This is going to be their last stand. And so he's ready to fight, yes, he's ready to kill, but most likely, honestly, he's ready to die as well. This will be their last stand. I was reading about Peter, and, and somebody was, was saying, Peter was always acting rashly. And they said, if you want to describe Peter, he acts first, and then he thinks later. That's the description. You want to, you want to know who Peter is? He doesn't think, he just rushes in and does something, and then he figures it out later. You know what? God must need people like that because God called him. God knew how he was. I think it's interesting. In the other Gospels, Peter's never named. It says one of them cut somebody's ear off, drew a sword. Peter's never named. You want to know why that is? It's because at the time that those Gospels were written, he was still alive and they would have found him had they had his name, and they would have killed him. When John writes, crazy, bold Peter has already died. Remember, he goes in the book of Acts, he goes to the Sanhedrin, and he preaches about Jesus in the Sanhedrin, and he says, you've killed the Messiah. He goes, and he's bold. Remember, he comes out of the jail, and he preaches about Jesus. He is bold. And by the time John writes this gospel, he has been crucified as a soldier of Jesus Christ. He's already dead when this is written. Verse 11. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Jesus, again, knows the Father's plan is perfect. He knows that. Jesus knows his purpose is to carry out the Father's will. He says, put the sword into the sheath. I want us to be sure our fight is not with weapons, not earthly weapons. Our enemies, listen, our enemies tonight are not lost people. Sometimes we start thinking, you know what, these folks, they are our enemy. Our enemies are not lost people. Our victories are not these types of battle that end in bloodshed. And I want to tell you tonight, it still stands. Put the sword in the sheath. That is not how believers fight. Sometimes we get pulled into that. We think, well, you know what, we'll, we'll, we'll go a different route for a while. Maybe God will bless that. 
That is not how believers fight. It still stands. Put the sword in the sheath. Jesus moves forward. He moves forward in the Father's plan. We're about to end right there, but I I want you to think about something. Friend, I think it is not ironic, and it's not by chance that these events at the start of chapter 18, at these events tonight, start in a garden. You see, it was in a garden where sin first entered in. It was in a garden where perfection was lost. It was in a garden where God's word was surrendered and defeat took hold. That took place in a garden. It was in a garden where God's people became guilty and they stood in their shame and they stood in their regret and all they could think was, oh, I wish we could take it back. If we could just move backward, oh, if we'd have never done that. And they stand in their shame. That was in a garden. It was in a garden where the first sacrifice was made, coverings for their sin. It was in a garden where the first blood was shed. So friend, no, I think it's no, not ironic. I think it's not by chance. Out of a garden, this garden, sin will be atoned for. Perfection will be gained back. All things will be made new. God's word will be in this garden. God's word will be upheld. And guilt and shame will forever be removed. It's out of this garden that the last perfect sacrifice will be made. Friend, listen to me tonight. God's plan is perfect. From the garden to the garden. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come tonight. We're thankful for your truth. We're thankful for these steps. We're thankful for a Savior that loves us so much that he moved forward, that he went went further, he stepped forward, he proceeded onward that we would be saved. Lord, I'm thankful for our Savior. Lord, I, I come tonight and I pray that somebody here that's hearing, maybe somebody in a different way that's hearing that doesn't know you, that hearing of this Savior, of your love, of your sacrifice, that in this night, on this night, that we might, they might trust you for their salvation. Lord, I pray that you move in their hearts. I pray, Lord, that again, that it would be for your glory. I pray, Lord, for us that are believers, those of us that have trusted you, I pray tonight as we hear the start of this account, that our love for you would be greater, that our reverence for you, our honor for you would be bigger, be higher, Lord, we would understand the grace of our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, we would love you more deeply from this night. Lord, I, I, I know this is your word. I know you've spoken to us. I pray, Lord, now that it bears fruit, that it brings glory to your name. We trust this to you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close now with a time of invitation, a time of response. And I want to, I want to tell you, the Savior of chapter 18, the Savior that walks to the garden, the Savior that will walk out of that garden and go to the cross of Calvary, loves you, knows you, died for you. The good news of the gospel is if you'll trust him, he will save you. He is the remedy for your sin. There is no other remedy, but we have a remedy in Christ Jesus. The Bible says he came, he took our sin to the cross of Calvary, paid for it there. It is finished, settled in the cross. He died paying for it. Bible says three days later, he's alive. He comes out of the grave. He stands in victory.
The Bible says if we will trust Him, if we will call upon Him, if we'll turn in repentance from our sin to our Savior Jesus, He'll save us. He'll save you tonight. If you've never trusted Jesus, trust Him tonight. Turn to Him tonight. He'll save you tonight. Maybe you've made this decision, but you've never fought in believer's baptism. I want to give you an opportunity as well to say, I want that testimony to stand. You come as well tonight. We'll set a day. It'll be a great day of celebration. You come tonight as well. Maybe you're here and you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it. You believe God has led you here. You come as well. Together we'll serve, upholding his word for his glory until he comes again. Maybe on this night you want to come pray here at an altar. Maybe you want to pray with me. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small. I'm going to ask during this time, no one would stir about, no one would head for an exit that you would pray for those that are making decisions. If God has spoken to you, you step out and you come on. As we stand and sing, you step out, you come on. I'll meet you here. (laughs) 